Hi there, and welcome to Power Play. I'm Vashi Kapelos. Tonight, healthcare deal or no deal? Lots of work still needs to be done. But I am confident that we're going to get to a good place. Is an agreement between provinces and Ottawa close or still far off? We'll ask the federal minister in charge of the relationship with the provinces, Dominic LeBlanc, in moments. Then, state of the agreement. The NDP wants the feds to cut off funding for Ontario's health care after Doug Ford announces more private surgeries. Is it enough for leader Jagmeet Singh to pull his support for the government? We'll ask Mr. Singh coming up. Plus... Inflation nation, the overall inflation rate is going down, but grocery bills keep climbing. We'll break down the pocketbook pressures just ahead. First, though. But I do believe we're close uh, to a deal. Yes, we're all looking forward to a final agreement at some point, but we are all very mindful that there is still lots of work to do before we get there. I'm glad that the health minister is pointing out that there's still a lot of work to do, because there is. But I'm also very pleased to be able to say that I am confident that we're going to get to a good place. So as you heard there, the big question, is a health care deal between the federal government and the provinces close or still a ways away? Let's bring in Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc to find out. Hi, Minister. Good to see you. Hey, Vashi. Happy New Year. I haven't seen you since the beginning of the year. Same to you and your family. I appreciate you making the time this evening. Uh, Minister, which is it? Is there a, a deal very close or is there still lots of work to do? Uh, Vashi, I don't think there's a huge contradiction uh, at all in those two comments in the sense that, no, we don't have a, a deal finalized. Uh, I'm confident, as I always have been, and I think you and I spoke about this in previous months, that we'll get to the right place with the provinces. Um, the federal government works as a team. Mr. Duclos talks to his counterparts. I talk to a number of premiers in the course of my work, of course, as does the prime minister. And certainly in recent weeks before Christmas and in recent days, um, we sense a desire amongst all orders of government, amongst the provinces and certainly our government, to get to the right place quickly. Canadians expect us. They're rightfully concerned about the state of the healthcare system. Any national newscast will show some of the cracks in the system. Um, so we want to work collaboratively with the provinces. And I'm very confident uh, that we're on track to get to a deal that will be important for Canadians and that will support Canadians. It's about the patients, the people who work in the healthcare system, their families. Yeah. That's been our focus. And obviously the premiers share that focus. Um, so why wouldn't we find the right arrangement that improves the system? So, so let me ask a bit more explicitly, because last night on the program, uh, Saskatchewan's Premier Scott Moe said, compared to a month ago, yes, we are much closer. Is that a fair assessment? Do you agree with it? Totally. Totally. I think I, I saw Premier Moe's comments. Uh, he's somebody that I, frankly, like to work with. We have a very constructive and collaborative relationship. Um, I was heartened by his comments last night. Uh, and if you think of a month ago or four months ago, uh, I think the circumstance is a lot better to get to the right place for Canadians and ensure that the healthcare system uh, is uh, is world class, is sustainable, and is accessible, which is obviously a, a concern that we're seeing in many jurisdictions across the country, big and small. I spoke to Premier King this morning, the Premier of Prince Edward Island. I spoke to Premier Fury on Sunday evening. These are ongoing conversations, and there's an awful lot more we have in common 
then we need to still work on. So that's why I share the prime minister's confidence uh, and, uh, and think we'll get there quickly. If the province's uh, minister do agree to the federal government's terms, is the amount of money that you're coming to the table with an additional $28 billion a year through the Canada Health Transfer to provinces? So uh, obviously that is the kind of conversation that we're having with the provinces. Um, I don't think anybody's landed on a precise quantum yet. We have said, Vashi, that we would be prepared to increase federal support for public health care. I think COVID has shown all of us how we can, frankly, benefit Canadians by working collaboratively together. Prime Minister said we're prepared to make increases. Um, those are the kinds of conversations uh, we want to have, those detailed conversations with the premiers. But we're not at a position where publicly the precise quantum uh, needs to be discussed. But Premier Mo said it well. We're on a path, I hope, to resolving that issue and others in a way that shows Canadians how seriously we take this current crisis in the healthcare system. Put the premiers to the side for a second. If you could speak to Canadians who are watching tonight. From your perspective, is what the premiers, what the provinces are asking for, uh, a boost of $28 billion, is it reasonable? Well, Vashi, we've said that we're prepared to invest the money necessary to get better outcomes, better results, a more sustainable and reliable accessibility in the healthcare system. Um, I'm not going to discuss specific numbers tonight. It would not be appropriate. It's not respectful to our partners in the Federation, the premiers uh, who want to have those conversations with us, and we're obviously prepared to do so. What we can say to Canadians is that we totally understand and share their concern about the current state of the public health care system. That concern is not unique to the government of Canada. It's shared by premiers that have uh, the frontline responsibility of running the health care systems in the 10 provinces and three territories. So we're anxious to work collaboratively and constructively with them. As many of them have said in recent weeks, in recent days, uh, anxious to work with them to get to the right place for Canadians. So there, there, there's really no hesitation on our part to do whatever is necessary with the provinces and territories to make sure that Canadians can have confidence in the public health care system. Uh, all of us share that concern. But respectfully, Minister, I just don't really, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to read that. Are you prepared or not to, to put on the table what the premiers want? I'm not sure it's disrespectful to them because they've been pretty clear with Canadians about what they want from you. In the past, your government implemented, for example, a formula for escalators that the Harper government had pledged. You actually reduced the amount by which health transfers increase each year. I know things changed during COVID through lump sums and things like that. But in essence, the formula was reduced through your government. So, so again, I'm just not sure how I'm supposed to read that. Are you prepared to come to the table with the amount of money the premiers want, or will it be significantly less? But again, Vashi, you've been around politics a long time. You've covered discussions between provinces and the government of Canada. Uh, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you either, but I'm not in a position tonight to go into detailed discussions of what the precise numbers are, other than to share what Premier Mo and other premiers, Premier King and his discussion with me today, uh, have said to share their view that our conversations about what is needed to strengthen uh, the public health care system in the country and ensure that it's accessible and sustainable 
over the long term. Those discussions are going very well. And we'll get to the right agreement, I hope, with the provinces uh, quickly. Uh, and then Canadians will see uh, the extent to which our shared commitment uh, is real in terms of ensuring that the healthcare system is accessible for everybody. Minister, in a few minutes, I'm about to interview the leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, and today he put out a press release saying that your government should withhold funding from Ontario because of Premier Ford's announcement to increase the number of surgeries uh, delivered by uh, private clinics, essentially. Uh, will your government do that? So we're not in a position to decide or, or discuss what uh, specific elements of the Ontario plan uh, comply with the Canada Health Act. The Prime Minister has said the provinces have the responsibility of delivering uh, health care in their jurisdictions in a way that respects uh, the conditions of the Canada Health Act. So Premier Ford has said yesterday in the comments I saw, and he said to me privately, uh, that he fully intends to respect the elements of the Canada Health Act. So we'll see the details of what he rolls out. Um, our position is that we need to ensure that the healthcare system is accessible, that there aren't barriers to accessibility, for example, around user fees and so on, all of which would violate the Canada Health Act. Um, but we respect that provinces uh, have the responsibility to deliver a healthcare system in their jurisdictions, which meets the expectations of Canadians. So we'll work with the government of Ontario, but we certainly share the concern uh, that we don't want to see a two-tier private healthcare system. But Premier Ford was quite clear that that's not the direction he wants to go in at all either. And you, and just to be clear, though, you believe him. So you, you're saying that based on what you know about the, what Ontario is proposing, it complies with the Canada Health Act? What we're saying is we don't start from the premise of not believing the Premier of Ontario when he was very clear and repeated himself publicly yesterday. We'll obviously see the details of what he rolls out within his own jurisdiction in terms of administering a healthcare system for which he's responsible. Um, I think, again, there's there may not be a contradiction uh, between our desire to ensure that there's an accessible public health care system that respects the conditions of the Canada Health Act and what provinces have a responsibility to deliver. Our job is to ensure the Canada Health Act is enforced and respected. We intend to do that, but we want to work with the government of Ontario and other provinces and territories as they make the decisions in their own jurisdictions to improve access uh, and reduce wait times. That is certainly an objective that we share as well. Okay, Minister LeBlanc, I have to leave it there. Thank you for your time this evening. Vashi, thank you for inviting me on your program. Have a great evening. You too. Dominic LeBlanc is the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, and the front bench will dig into this subject later this hour. Up today, Brian Gallant, Lisa Ray, Tom Mulcair, and Rob Benzie. First, though, let's get to the cost of living in Canada. Prices are going up, though slower than they have been. Inflation dipped again in December. There are still, however, some sticky points, especially, you and I both know, at the grocery store. BNN Bloomberg's Andrew Bell is here to explain. Andrew, let's start with the big picture, the numbers. Where does inflation stand?
it's, it's getting better. The annual rate dropped to 6.3%, down sharply from almost 7% in November. So that's good news. It's still way higher, though. We were talking about this yesterday, inflation currently, than the Bank of Canada wants to see. It wants to see inflation at 1% to 3%. So it, it looks like the Bank of Canada still won't be satisfied. And there was a huge jump in food once again. It was up more than 10% year over year, the cost of food. That was slightly down again from November, but grocery prices have just been stratospheric in their rise. Uh, and of course, that's a bit of a political sore point. Um, MPs have been pressing the supermarket industry over concerns or complaints that they're colluding. Of course, the industry denies that and says, well, our profit margins haven't been growing, but it's still getting more expensive to live in Canada. The prices are still going up. Yeah, I think the main driver of that inflation decreasing in December appeared to be gasoline yeah, prices, that's which right. are absolutely yeah. right. Those gross, yeah, those grocery prices are sticking. And my next guest, Jagmeet Singh, is actually one of the uh, the, the big political voices that that you were referring to there. Uh, on the next question of the, the potential for a recession, because uh, when we talk about the Bank of Canada, yeah potentially increasing rates further. The, the, the big you know, uh, concern is whether that will trigger a recession. Can, can you give it to me on both those points? What are you expecting from the Bank of Canada and what about the potential for a recession? Yep. Because, of course, central bankers, their job is to be killjoys and to take the booze away, especially when the party's <laughs> at its height. The economy is still doing pretty well. Uh, consumers are still spending. And TD says that, in, f in fact, uh, the cooling of the economy will continue, but it will require consumer spending to effectively grind to a halt. They don't mean consumer spending, nothing. They expect zero growth in consumer spending. So according to these economists at TD, the Canadian consumer hasn't been battered enough by these rising interest costs. The, house, the cost of mortgages, variable mortgages, went up in December. So in terms of yet more interest rate increases, the general consensus, and it seems to be that, sure, we'll get another increase from the Bank of Canada next week, um, Wednesday of next week, January 25th. I think that's January 25th, 17th, yeah. Um, a quarter percentage point. But that might be enough for now. You might say, well, that's odd. Why would you stop increasing interest rates when inflation is still more than 6%? Because, of course, it's a lagging thing. Um, and also, right. we're still, the rate is still being inflated by very high inflation early last year. So the rate is coming down. Whether it'll be enough, though, to, to mean just one more and we're done in terms of interest rate increases remains to be seen. Yeah, I bet a lot of Canadians have their fingers crossed on that one. Thanks so much, Andrew Bean and Bloomberg's Thanks, Andrew Amanda. Bell there. And we have a lot more coming up tonight. Uh, my next guest will be Jagmeet Singh. Uh, we're going to ask him uh, what he thinks of what Dominic LeBlanc just said on this program. He believes, Ontario Premier Doug Ford, that uh, what he's announced for private delivery of health care is in compliance with the Canada Health Act. We'll see if Jagmeet Singh is on the same page next. Stay with us. Ontarians will always access health care with their OHIP card, never their credit card. Our goal is simple. Whether it's an emergency in the middle of the night or a problem that's been bothering you for years, no matter where you live, we want to connect you to more convenient care closer to home. 
More political fallout tonight over Ontario Premier Doug Ford's plans to use private for-profit clinics to alleviate that province's surgical backlog. The NDP is calling on the federal government to take a stand for public health care. Let's bring in the leader of that party now, Jagmeet Singh. Hi, Mr. Singh. Good to have you in studio tonight. Thank you. Good to be here. I had the opportunity to just speak with Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc, and I put your concern to him and said, look, are you willing to withhold funding if what Doug Ford's doing doesn't comply with the Canada Health Act? He said... In essence, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have any reason not to believe Doug Ford, that Doug Ford insists it will comply with the Canada Health Act. Doesn't he have a point there? I think we need to go beyond just the Canada Health Act. What Doug Ford is, is proposing is to invest more of our public dollars into private delivery of health care. And we know the crisis that we're up against is one of a health care worker shortage. Having more money in a private system is just going to cannibalize workers. We have ERs that are overrun. Those ER nurses and healthcare workers are going to be put into operating rooms in a for-profit clinic, which is not going to alleviate the stress. In fact, it's going to be more costly. It's going to increase the delays in the public system. And it's going to be a question of lack of quality, which is what we always see in a for-profit delivery of healthcare. And the real question is, where does the prime minister stand? If he says he's going to defend public healthcare and he's allowing this to happen in Ontario, to me, it looks like, the Prime Minister is not interested in defending public health care, which I think is wrong. But this isn't something that is unique to Ontario. In 2021, 13,000 surgeries were performed in public, uh, rather private clinics in British Columbia. Should the Prime Minister also, also then be withholding funding for health care in that province? Well, in British Columbia, the, prime, the, the NDP government has acknowledged that they need to move in the opposite direction. They think that there should but be less... But they're still doing it. They believe there should be less uh, delivery of, of health care through the private system. And what Doug Ford is announcing now is a massive investment and increase in private delivery, uh, for-profit delivery, which is the wrong thing to do. And at a time when we're negotiating health care, the prime minister should use a leverage we have to say, no, we want to see more investments in the public system, particularly when what Doug Ford's proposing isn't going to make things better. And it's not just me that's saying it. It's the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Ontario the Ontario Nurses Association, the very doctors and nurses that we rely on are saying this is actually going to make things worse. But I'm going to give you a list now of people who say it's not, that it's the right thing to do. Anthony Dale, the president and CEO of the Ontario Hospital Association. Dr. Rose Zacharias, the president of the Ontario Medical Association. Dr. Andy Smith, the president and CEO of Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Dr. Kevin Smith, the president and CEO of the University Health Network. They say that this is just expanding on something that already exists and it will address the surgical backlog. Well, I could put those up against all of the nurses of Ontario and all of the doctors of Ontario. Pretty easy to say that. I mean, all these are the some people, of the doctors of Ontario. But this is the association that speaks with the voice of all of the nurses, the Ontario Nurses Association and the College of Physicians, who are saying very clearly, and I think very logically, that putting more money into the private system isn't going to deal with the actual problem, which is a lack of healthcare workers. How is this going to in any way deal with that problem? In fact, what it's going to do, and we know it's going to happen, it's going to exacerbate the problems. It's going to increase delays. And it's really like putting oil on the fire and making it burn worse. And Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, has the match. And he said uh, that he's okay with this, pretty much, with what we're seeing so far. And that's wrong. But is the Prime Minister really in a position to say, hey, you know what, it's happening in other provinces, but they're not saying they want to do more of it, so I'll still give them money, but you're saying you want to do more of it, so I won't give you money. Like, do you see how that's such a slippery slope? Well, right now, it's a question of the expansion. Uh, this, what Doug Ford is presenting is not just status quo. 
it's a changing legislation from what I understand in the announcement. It's changing the scope of what is allowed to happen. It's massively expanding and investing in the private delivery, which means a couple of things. We know after the pandemic that for-profit long-term care homes are where the worst conditions of care existed. And it's not surprising to make money you have to cut corners, whether it's cutting hours of work, cutting the pay, and that means worse outcomes for patients. In a crisis, a different. it's in a the wrong profit, thing to do. But in a, in a long-term care home, for example, if I go to a private one, I send my dad there, I have to pay for that out of pocket. This is not me paying out of pocket for my cataract surgery. This is the government paying a private clinic to deliver, to perform that surgery for me. There, it's kind of a false equivalency that you're presenting. I'm not saying you're wrong about long-term care homes. And I understand the concern about for-profit entities operating things that have to do with our health care. But, but, but it's not an equivalent. Well, I'm not suggesting it's an equivalent. I'm suggesting that the, the trend we've seen is when there's for-profit delivery of healthcare, some of the dollars that are spent go towards profit. All the dollars don't go towards care. And that inevitably means a less, less quality of care. Every dollar that we publicly spend is not going to, to a, a solution to make someone's health better. Some of that money is going towards profit. And the problem is when we're in a crisis, when we've got a serious problem, should we be spending any of our money to line the pockets of, of rich investors, making people richer, or should every dollar we spend go towards the care of our loved ones, care of children, care for people? Uh, that is a pretty easy can, answer for me. Every dollar should be spent on care, not on profit. Can, can though the province, can they walk and chew gum at the same time? The issue that the province says, that the, the Ford government says, is that the capacity in the public health system doesn't exist. That there isn't, uh, you know, enough uh, operating time, for example, in those operating rooms. That there needs to be additional capacity added through these private clinics to address that. Do, do, you, do you concede that that could be true? Not at all. In fact, we've got uh, a public system with the operation, operating rooms, with the facilities, with the equipment, uh, there's a lack of resources in terms of staffing. And so to suggest that we can put more money into the private system to deal with the lack of human healthcare resources is actually very illogical. It makes no sense at all. All of the evidence that we've seen so far is that the problem in our healthcare system isn't a lack of uh, facility, uh, emergency rooms, hospitals, it's a lack of resources in terms of people. And so to suggest that we can put more money in the private system, it's somehow going to deal with a human healthcare resource problem, it's not going to solve the problem at all. And that's why it's very credible when people say, in fact, this is going to make things worse. You're going to have emergency room uh, nurses that are going to be poached to work in operating rooms for cataracts. How is that going to bring down the emergency room wait times? How is that well, going to help children Because they're still going to be doing cataract surgeries there. But I take your point. I just want to, we have just a few seconds left. I want to get to the fact that you're in Ottawa because you're meeting with caucus over the next few days. You know where I'm going likely with this question, but you keep saying I want the federal government to do something. You are in an agreement that keeps the liberals in power right now. How definitive are you on this? Do you, you know, if, if, if the federal government continues to give more money to Ontario for health care and Ontario goes ahead with this plan, what happens to your support? We are right now fighting to make sure that we defend our public health care system. Uh, we want to make it very clear that it's wrong for the Prime Minister to support what Doug Ford's doing. And Pierre Polyev is cheering this on the sidelines, saying it's great that privatization is happening. We're the ones saying, no, we need to defend our public health care system, and we're going to continue to fight for it. Respectfully, that's not really an answer. What, what does that mean? Like, what is the value of that agreement? Well, what we've shown in the past is we've been able to fight for things that initially both the Liberals and Conservatives were opposed to, and then eventually people actually received that support. Dental care in the but last nine months... But that dental care was very specific, sorry to interrupt, in that agreement. There is nothing, there are broad strokes about working with the provinces on health care and defending health 
healthcare. There is nothing specific about it staying exactly the way it is in Ontario. So one example that we have is the GST rebate that we increased. That sent over 10 million Canadians more than $400. That was something that was not in agreement. Initially, the Liberals and the Conservatives were opposed to it. We fought hard. And in November, Canadians received that amount. We know that in nine months, we're able to achieve a lot for Canadians. Uh, we're looking to continue to do that, to deliver for Canadians, to give them the help they need, to invest in our healthcare system, our public system with more, work, with more healthcare workers, recruitment, retention, and training new workers. That's what we need to do, so, not invest in a private solution. So no election in 2023? <laughs> Our goal is to continue to fight for Canadians. That's so we, my focus. So no election? Right, right now, that's, uh, there's no election right now. Okay, Mr. Singh, thank you very much for coming into studio. Appreciate it. That's NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. The front bench is sticking around. It's coming up, I should say. They're going to weigh in on what we just heard from Mr. Singh. Up next, though, the political stories of the day. The list when we return. Welcome back to Power Play. This is The List. What's happening in politics on this Tuesday? A plaque set to be installed at Global Affairs Headquarters in Ottawa is prompting questions about whether it sends the wrong message about the current situation in Afghanistan. The Canadian press is reporting Global Affairs Canada is set to install a plaque to commemorate Canada's evacuation of Afghans and embassy staff when Kabul fell to the Taliban in the summer of 2021. The plaque, which reportedly cost $10,000, is meant to pay tribute to all of the Government of Canada employees who contributed to the evacuation. Both Canada's decision, though, to evacuate its embassy before others and the administrative barriers for Afghans still trying to resettle in Canada have been the subject of much political scrutiny. Powerplay asked Global Affairs Canada for a statement in response to those questions, but was not provided with one. Wazish Onega Nation says ground-penetrating radar has found 171 anomalies on a former residential school site in Kenora, Ontario. The First Nation says they were found within cemetery grounds associated with the former St. Mary's Indian Residential School. Finding the truth and exercising caution on everything touched by this genocidal legacy comes at a price. And it's a price our treaty partners need to pay. That is true reconciliation. To my community members, this is a very difficult day for us. I urge you to lean on, these, on those mental health supports. Lean on your ways of healing. Ontario's Indigenous Affairs Minister released a statement saying, in part, the news is heartbreaking. Today's discovery, the result of an eight-month investigation, is a tragic first for Ontario. As soon as the findings were released, I communicated with Chief Skeed to offer Ontario's full support. Over to Quebec, where the government there is bringing in an outside mediator after 100 nurses at one hospital threatened to quit. Emergency room nurses at Maisonneuve-Rosemont Hospital held a demonstration last night over a requirement that forces them to work mandatory overtime. Quebec's health minister, Christian Dubé, says they've told him their workplace is toxic. I just want to reassure patients that we are taking that seriously. And over the next few hours, we will update people because I think there is a... We need to make sure there is a, a really a, a will to solve that issue. So it's unfortunate that we had to go through this uh, uh, 
this situation last night, but I think we, you can see that we are really involved right now in making sure we find solutions. The Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, meanwhile, has updated their drinking guidelines for the first time in 12 years. The guidelines now classify low health risk for men and women as one to two drinks per week, moderate risk as three to six drinks, and high risk as seven or more. According to the CCSA, excessive drinking can increase the risk for cancer and, quote, most types of cardiovascular diseases, liver disease, and violence. China is reporting a population drop for the first time in decades, though it's still the world's most populous country with more than 1.4 billion people. China's National Bureau of Statistics is reporting an overall population decline of 850,000. All in all, China saw more deaths than births and the lowest birth rate since the nation started record, record tracking rather more than 70 years ago. Officials also reported the highest mortality rate since the mid-1970s. Much more to come tonight on Power Play. Up next, we'll turn back to our top story, health care, deal or no deal. Our front bench is here. Brian Gallant, Lisa Raitt, Tom Mulcair, and Rob Benzie will join me on the other end of a quick break. Stay right there. But I do believe we're close uh, to a deal. Yes, we're all looking forward to a final agreement at some point. But we are all very mindful that there is still lots of work to do before we get there. I'm glad that the health minister is pointing out that there's still a lot of work to do, because there is. But I'm also very pleased to be able to say that I am confident that we're going to get to a good place. Welcome back to Power Play. How close are the premiers and the federal government to finally striking a health deal? Premiers like Scott Moe, as you heard there, think a deal is close. But also today, federal health minister Jean-Yves Duclos seemed to offer a bit of a reality check that there could be a lot more work to do. What's behind that back and forth? Let's dig into it with the front bench. Joining me this evening, former New Brunswick premier Brian Gallant. He's now the CEO of Space Canada. Former Deputy Conservative Leader Lisa Raitt. She's now the Vice Chair and Managing Director of Global Investment Banking at CIBC. CTV News political analyst and former NDP leader Tom Mulcair and the Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief Rob Benzie. Hi, everybody. Great to see you tonight. Rob, I'm, I'm going to start to you because I start with you, rather. I think it was exactly a week ago you were putting these questions to Premier Ford and he kind of got the ball rolling, that it appeared premiers were starting to fall in line. What is your sense from your conversations behind the scenes of how close a deal really is? Well, Vashi, I think uh, what Premier Ford told us last week, after I promised on the show that I would ask him about it, he, uh, I, I, I made good on my promise, so I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I, uh, he, he said, look, uh, we can live with strings attached to uh, federal funding, uh, to new federal funding, because they all want the same things. They want better health collection, uh, better data collection. They want uh, a better look at, at what metrics are. They want better look at outcomes. They want more money for uh, mental health. I think the provinces and the federal government are very close on what they aim to do with this new money. I think there will be, uh, for sure, as the Prime Minister said today, some some tinkering, because they, they there seems to be a 
problem more in Alberta than in any other province. But Danielle Smith has a, an election to fight, so she needs to posture against the federal government. Doug Ford just won an election six months ago here in Ontario. He doesn't need to have a fight with, uh, with Justin Trudeau. In fact, he is, was appreciative of Mr. Trudeau yesterday uh, not poo-pooing his uh, uh, reforms, which are not that radical, despite what Mr. Singh was telling you earlier. Um, so I think they're, they're much more sympathetical, Vashi, uh, the, the Premier of Ontario and the Prime Minister of Canada. Right. And we'll get to the, the comments from Mr. Singh in, in our next segment. But, Brian, look, you've sat around the table in these types of negotiations. I, I, I constantly talk about it on the show because two months ago when I was interviewing premiers, they were like, no way. We're not agreeing to this stuff at all. We don't want strings. And, and things have really changed. Like, they've actually, actually tangibly changed. In all the interviews I've done with them over the past week, they're openly saying we're close, we're okay with the stuff that the feds want. What do you think is happening behind the scenes? Yeah, and if you add to the history that you gave, I think when we look back in November, I believe it was, when Duclos actually, Minister Duclos actually went into meeting with the other health ministers uh, on the provincial level and territorial level, and he thought that there might be real progress at that meeting, but unfortunately he felt that what had been talked about behind the scenes was not ending up being what the meeting was going to be about and what the messaging, more importantly from his perspective, would be about after he, uh, he went and talked to media. So uh, if you take that starting point, that means that Minister Ducrew thought that even then, in November, there was some headway and seemed to be there some agreements, as Robert pointed out, that the provinces could get on board with some of the metrics that the, uh, the federal government would want the provinces to measure and do a better job of collaborating and working on. Uh, and then we see, obviously, a bit of a fallout there. The premiers kind of came in and went a little more hardline. So yeah. for whatever reason, if they thought that was the right tactic, I mean, there, there's a thing I think around the table that, that I, can, I can attest to that there really is this sort of dynamic of how strong are we going to be. So sometimes they may actually go a little over the top because they so want to demonstrate that all 13 premiers are on the same side. So there, there may, may be a little bit of over the top. Uh, especially when you consider just a month later, they're all sort of softened up. And yeah, we're pretty close, right? And it's not like they all worked over the holidays on this, <laughs> I'm sure. So really, I think, I think we find ourselves with the history of November. There was probably some headway then. The premiers really wanted to be hardlined to try to get as much as they could. It seems to me like there's a pretty uh, clear agreement in principle or a very close agreement at the moment. The Prime Minister wouldn't have said he's optimistic yeah. if that wasn't the case. And I think Duclos is the only one that put a little bit of cold water mm -hmm. just because of his experience most likely in Vancouver in November where right. he felt a little slighted with the backroom talks not matching the uh, messaging to media from the provincial counterparts. Uh, Lisa, I spoke with Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc earlier on the program and I, I tried to get him to tell us exactly what the feds were coming to the table with because the ask, I mean, great that there's a deal uh, seemingly imminent, but the ask is a big one, right? It's for a big increase to the escalator uh, amounting to about $28 billion a year. He would not go into specifics. I tried many times, but do you think that, that the feds will be somewhere in and around there? Like, is that plausible? I think the feds have calculated and made a political assessment. And that political assessment is that there's going to be nothing good about arguing over health care and how much money is flowing in whatever direction because people have just had it. They're concerned about getting access to hospitals. They're concerned about whether or not their emergency rooms are okay, if their children's hospitals are okay. Picking at each other on this topic is not going to render anyone ahead in the polls. And I think that that's the hard look they took at over Christmas. May not have been about thinking about their negotiated positions, but certainly they probably took a look at whether or not politically this is a fight anybody really wants to have in this country. And cooler heads may be prevailing and we'll see where they all end up. 
Um, maybe the, the premier in Alberta wants to pick a fight because she has a very real election coming up. But the rest of them, I don't sense that anybody wants to have this kind of discussion because what people care about are the outcomes at the end of the day. And outcomes for them is access to an emergency room when you need it and good care when you also need it for yourself and your loved ones. And arguing about money is not going to be a winner for any political party. Tom, do you think because of what Lisa just outlined in, in the sort of reading the room, the public sentiment, that the likelihood of uh, the federal government going province to province in a bilateral arrangement like we saw back in 2018 has lessened? Like, do you think this ends up being a package deal, save and accept the possibility of Alberta? I think it is going to be a package deal. And when you've got uh, the two largest provinces, Ontario and Quebec, on board, Francois Legault was already being attacked last week for going along with the idea of providing more information and taking some strings that would be attached to that money. The two separatist parties, Quebec Solidaire and the Parti Québécois in the Quebec National Assembly, were attacking him for letting down the side, for throwing in the towel, for being so weak in the face of Ottawa. And Legault's a pragmatist. He knows that the public is, as Lisa correctly says, just fed up. And in Montreal, we've got this massive emergency yeah. ward, the largest in the province, one of the largest mm -hmm. in the country, actually, shut down because they just can't make it work. The public wants nothing to do with debates over jurisdiction and competence. Yeah. They want a result. And the feds are saying, okay, we're going to start ponying up some of the cash that we said was there, had to be there from the beginning. Here's how we're going to do it. And it seems that there's a meeting of the minds with Trudeau and those key premiers. With regard to Duclos, we can find all sorts of reasons. I did sense that Trudeau was feeling obliged to put a bit of the toothpaste back in the tube from Duclos' statements today. But good cop, bad cop is, is a nice way of negotiating sometimes. The important thing, in my, in my view, Vashi, is that Canadians want a result. And there are several adults in the room right now, including Doug Ford and Francois Legault, saying, OK, we're going to play along, and I think that's a good, that's a good bit of information for everybody across the country. Sure is. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. The front bench is sticking around. What about the possibility of that funding being tied to public health care? That's what NDP leader Jagmeet Singh wants. We're going to talk about what you heard from Mr. Singh earlier on this program with the front bench in just a few moments. Stay right there. A little bit earlier on the program tonight, we had NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. He was talking about the future of the Liberal NDP Confidence and Supply Agreement. The NDP want the Prime Minister to make protecting public universal health care a condition on the provinces in exchange for any additional federal health care funding. Let's talk about the plausibility of that with our front bench. Brian Gallant, Lisa Raitt, Tom Mulcair and Robert Benzi are here. Uh, Tom, I'm going to start with you. Is there any world in which you can envision the NDP walking away from that agreement over this? That's a very tough question you're asking, Vashi. <laughs> I know that ideologically and historically the NDP <laughs> has always said if we're going to have things like pharmacare, it has to be 100% public. If we're going to have childcare that's paid for largely by the government, it has to be 100% public. So they're going to fight that fight. But I also think that the average Canadian right now is saying, look, there are models in Canada. The most complete pharmacare in Canada is a hybrid model where you can have your private insurance and it's topped up and it's in Quebec. Would you scrap that system for an ideological purity? Would you say that it's impossible to consider contracting out where the person would still use their health care card, they would not spend a penny, 
that they would be covered by a system that would provide the result that they want, which is a hip replacement or a knee or a cataract operation. That's the big debate that has to take place, and it does require a good, healthy debate. But I don't think that digging in and saying that there's no other way to look at this, it has to be 100% public, if it's accessible, if it's universal, if it's paid for by the, the single payer, and the result is there, I think that that's where the public is right now, because the system that we've got is not working. And I think that they want something that does work and that does provide that result, because that's what this is about, health care for Canadians. Politically, though, Lisa, why might Mr. Singh be digging in on this? Because he, he is looking at it ideologically. Um, and my guess is a, a lot of the you know, core of his base would, too. Uh, but does that limit him from expanding beyond that base in this, in this situation? Far be for me to criticize a party leader on this, but I don't think he's reading the room on this one well, because I believe what Ontarians want is to know that they've got a spot on a list to have their knee fixed or to have their hip fixed or to have their shoulder fixed. And we just have too many people's names on too many lists for it to be a situation where somebody says, for the better of the system, we'd like you not to seek out this alternative to going to a hospital. We, we think it's better if you wait a little bit longer for the rest of the system to catch up. They're not going to buy it. There's too many people who are too interested in ensuring that their health is going to be covered off. So not reading the room, not understanding the situation as it currently stands. And that's the problem with the position that they're taking. So to answer the question that you put to Tom, because I can, I suppose, um, walking away from the deal... <laughs> <laughs> Walking away from the deal is is a recipe for disaster. He is not going to win any votes on that. I, I think my, I gathered, Brian, from uh, my interview with him that he's not prepared to walk uh, away from the deal on this. He kind of says this thing he says in a lot of these incidents, which is, I, you know, it's something I'm going to fight for. Um, do, do you think there's any world in which this is the issue for him? Or is this, again, something that he needs to say to talk to people who usually vote for him? I think it's the latter. I, I believe that, to Lisa's point, he's, he's trying to read the room, but the room is filled with people that may vote for him, NDP sympathizers or voters. So I, I say this humbly because I think there's somebody on this panel that would know those types of voters a lot better than I. But, <laughs> but with that said, I, I do think he's saying to himself that this is not going to go well with some of the people that, uh, that support us. So I have to say something. I, I, I see no world in which he would call an election over this issue. Um, I think in part because of what Tom and Lisa has already said in terms of the, the sort of uh, the implications electorally. But I also think that they're comfortable where they are right now. They would like the extra time to get ready. They signed this deal in uh, you know a few months ago now, or probably longer than that yeah, now. Nearly a year ago, if you can believe it. Time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they had the impression that it would go to 2025, so they can get ready for the next election. I'm sure that's still very much the strategy. It will take something, I think, a lot bigger than this and something that will speak to their base and beyond their base for them to pull the trigger sooner than 2025 if they ever were to contemplate doing so. And I would also add, if they did for some, for some reason think that an election would be in their best interest right now, yes, they could maybe use an issue like this to kind of pull the plug and have an excuse to call the election and go against the agreement till 2025, but that's just not the case right now. Yeah, I, I think on the broader question of the agreement and, you know, is there, I tried to get, you know, I asked at the end, is there an election the next year, Mr. Singh? He didn't really want to go there. He said, not right now. Um, Rob, the, the question of the, the deal itself, uh, I was looking at some polling numbers from Nick Nanos that showed 
the NDP has, you know, gone up a bit, down a bit, but re is relatively the same as where it was in March of 22 when that agreement was signed. Uh, do you think there's any reason for them to change things in the next, you know, six months? No, I think Vashi would be uh, suicidal to do that, frankly. Uh, I'm old enough to remember a by-election 36 days ago, uh, not very far from where I am right now in Toronto, in Mississauga Lakeshore, and uh, the NDP vote went to 4.9% from 9.8% a year earlier. So in half, cut in half, all of it went to the Liberals, and the Liberals won that by-election. Uh, I think it would be crazy for Mr. Singh to do this. The other thing, too, is that I, I was actually startled to hear him suggest that this would be... Uh, a, 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 a potential break in the confidence supply agreement, which, remember, what is the key achievement that Mr. Mr. Singh is, is touting? It's the Denticare program that, for, for, for kids, which is a, a really good thing for a lot of families. Well, who's, who's providing that service? Dentists who are for-profit contractors. They're not government dentists, Fashi. These are going to be the same kinds of people that are doing surgeries of, in, under Doug Ford's plan, which, by the way, is already being done in a, in a few other provinces, including one that is currently governed by a new Democrat, and one that will probably be governed by a new Democrat, Alberta, uh, after the next election. So I think it's, it was, I was stunned to hear him say that. Benzie, don't apply well, he logic says that it's, to politics. <laughs> <laughs> to politics in general. He says that it's not just the introduction of it, it's that those other provinces want to expand it that he has issue with, but that seems like a slippery slope to go down. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much to our front bench for the discussion tonight. Brian Gallant, Lisa Raitt, Tom Mulcair, and Rob Benzi. Before I leave you this evening, though, I do want to tell you about today's takeaway. Jumping off the subject we were just, just discussing, I interviewed Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc to find out whether what Jagmeet Singh is asking for is even a possibility, considering the federal government is thinking about giving more money to the province of Ontario and other provinces, would they tie something like that to what Premier Ford has promised? So if the Premier is in contravention of the Canada Health Act, is the federal government prepared to withhold funding over that? What do they think about what Premier Ford is proposing? Have a listen to what Dominic LeBlanc told me. There may not be a contradiction uh, between our desire to ensure that there's an accessible public health care system that respects the conditions of the Canada Health Act and what provinces have a responsibility to deliver. Our job is to ensure the Canada Health Act is enforced and respected. We intend to do that, but we want to work with the government of Ontario and other provinces and territories as they make the decisions in their own jurisdictions to improve access uh, and reduce wait times. That is certainly an objective that we share as well. So the minister also told me that he has no reason not to believe Premier Ford when Premier Ford directly told him that what he is proposing will not be in contravention of the Canada Health Act. A reminder of what the Premier announced just yesterday. He had signaled for a number of days that he would, alongside his health minister and Deputy Premier Sylvia Jones, that they would increase the number and type of surgeries, the scope of surgeries, performed at private for-profit clinics. So it's a three-phase approach. It starts at cataracts and it ends at hip and knee replacements, and it'll take place over a number of years, but it does include the uh, introduction of legislation, and that's where Minister LeBlanc says the federal government will be looking a, more, a little bit more closely. That does it for us tonight on Power Play. I'll hand things over to my colleague, Morella Fernandez, now. Have a great evening. I'll see you back here tomorrow.